Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bienvenidos, señoras y señores, to another episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, and your favorite casino and card games are available to play right from your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device and sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. And joining us on the Carne Asada is the Director of Brand Recognition for the Kirk Gibson Foundation. It's none other than Cam Gibson, who is the son of, yeah, that Kirk Gibson Dodger fans. Cam, bienvenido, como estas? Bien, ¿y tú? I love it. I love it. You get the show already, Cam. <laughs> so where did you pick up your Spanish, Cam? We, we need to know because I love when we have baseball players on the show and they love to show off the fact that they can speak Espanol. Well, I took, I took a lot of Spanish in school growing up because obviously my dad was coaching and I was always in the locker room with him. And he was, he was always like, Hey, like, you know, you you got to start picking up on some of this stuff. You should take more Spanish classes. So I started taking Spanish in fifth grade. Um, it's okay, but believe me, it's still not that good. It is not that good. But then um, following after school, being in the locker room myself in the minor leagues and and during spring training, talking to all the all the Latin players, you you kind of start to pick up on some things. And during conversations, you try and teach them English. They try and teach you Spanish. So it's it's you know kind of a tit for tat. You know, it's funny. I, I was talking to other minor leaguers about this and I was just like, when did they start teaching you like, hey, you have to learn a foreign language now to play baseball because it's not just Spanish. We got a lot of people coming from Korea, from Japan mm -hmm. now playing in the major league. So those those clubhouses turn into the United Nations, but it, it eventually <laughs> it, it eventually becomes right. We it, one giant English class. Right. 
It, well, they actually do have um, English classes. I'm not sure how frequently they, they have the guys, uh, the imports, you would call them, take them. But um, a lot of the times, like I, would, I was a guy who got to the field early um, because some days during the season, you're just hurting more than others and you got to sit in the cold tub or the hot tub and do a bunch of stretching and work out. So I'd get there early and then they, the, the Latin players get there early and they would be going to, to English class. And I want to say maybe they were doing it three times a week. And, you know, it's funny because I started off in, in 2015 and played with some of the same Latin players throughout my career. And you could kind of pick up that their English throughout the years was getting better and better. Like I played with, uh, you know, a, a kid named uh, Jose Azokar, and uh, he's he's in the big leagues now. And I knew I, I met him when I was very young in my career, where he he knew very little English. But again, as we progressed, he said, he kept having better conversations with me by the year. And I'm like, you're really working at this. I really appreciate that from you, man. <laughs> I, I want to get into your minor league career, but first I, I want to talk about the foundation. Can you mm -hmm. let our listeners, our viewers know what is the Kirk Gibson foundation? So a little background um, and for anybody who doesn't know, he, my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2015. Um, uh, and then he had a foundation in place before that. But once the Parkinson's diagnosis came, he switched it to a, a Parkinson's foundation. And so our main goal is um, we want to improve the quality of life uh, for those with Parkinson's through the development and the delivery of movement-based programs. So obviously people who know my dad, they know that, you know, he's an intense guy. He's constantly on the go doing something, whatever it is, he's active. And he's kind of found that that it, it's, it's not going to completely stop the symptoms from progressing with Parkinson's, but it's going to kind of help alleviate them a little bit to where your day-to-day -day life is going to be a little bit better with less symptoms. So he, he believes that movement and, and being active is, is one of the best ways to, to go about his new, um, his new fight against a new obstacle. So we kind of preach, you know, movement matters more. And, you know, hopefully that's what we're doing out in LA with this mural. We want to get people out in LA you know, on the train because he, he has a huge following here in Michigan. Um, and we want to start reaching the people out in LA too, because he had such a, a good time out there and a good career out there. Um, how is your dad doing? He, I, he's good. He, he might tell you something different, but he, he's, he's good to us. He's always, I mean, currently he's in Alaska in the wilderness fishing. I mean, the guy, the, the guy's unbelievable. He's like, I'm sitting there at, here at work today and I'm just getting, on my phone, picture after picture, you know, oh, I'm in the middle of this river. I'm in the middle of the woods, you know, having this lunch. I'm like, dude, you're, you're a maniac. <laughs> so, Cam, I think you're a good person to have on this show. So for, for our listeners or our viewers who may have a family member who has Parkinson's, you know, you focus on the person who has the Parkinson's, but I don't hear as much about the families. Like, how does it impact when you have a family member who has been diagnosed uh, with, with Parkinson's? Like, what is your role? What can you do to help that person? And like, when you first heard about your dad's diagnosis, what was your initial reaction? No, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I'll start with the second part of that. You know, my, my initial reaction, um, I remember, I mean, I could remember the entire three, four hours 
you know, before and after I found out. I just played a, a series-ending game at Indiana, and my parents are both at the game, and he seemed nicer than usual. Not nicer, but, like, more, like, lovey. And, and he's not the most lovey guy in the world. And I was on the bus home, and, and my brother, Kirk Robert, texted me, and he said, hey, when you guys get back, um, can you give me a call? Something I want to talk to you about. And so he ended up telling me uh, about the diagnosis when I got back to East Lansing at Michigan State. And I remember, like, it was so wild, man. I, I, at, at first, it's I never really paid attention to the disease. Obviously, I knew, like, oh, I know, like, Michael J. Fox had this disease because I love movies so much. And I love Back to the Future. So I was like, God, like, what does it even, like, really mean? Like, and he, he my dad made sure that he told me, you know, it's not a death sentence, dude. Like, I'm a tough guy. I'm going to fight this like I fight everything else. And we're going to try and do our best to get through it. And so it was kind of like, you know, I've, he's been my idol my whole life. It's like he's an unbreakable man. So having that happen to him, I felt bad for him. Where I was like, gosh, like you just, you, you're not a coach anymore. You've had some time with your family now to just be a normal guy kind of. And you got hit with this. But he will not let any anybody feel sorry for him because he's going to attack it as hard as he possibly can. Now, the the family aspect, being somebody in somebody's family who has Parkinson's, that's it's it's complicated because everybody's case of Parkinson's is going to be different. You know, I look at all the caregivers and and like uh, someone like my mom. You know, when this when this happened, she she probably was just as confused as any of us. You know, we were like, okay, so now what do we do? How how can we do our part to help out? And I think, you know, our, our best thing that we can do is just support him. You know, he likes being active, you know, so what, what I can do, go golf with them, go bowling with them, go play ping pong with them, go hunt with them, go do stuff with them. Cause that's really how he wants to get through this. And that's how he sees best for him. So, and, and we're an active family. So all we got to do is just try and keep up, which is pretty tough goal in itself. A 66 year old man with Parkinson's, you didn't think it would be so hard to keep up with him. I think it's great, though, that you that that message of it's not a death sentence. And it I, it always amazes me because I always feel I always whether it's either cancer or some other disease, it always mm-hmm. seems like the, the the person who has it is the strongest person and has to console mm-hmm. everyone else and be like, hey, For I'm sure. OK. I'm, I'm going to get through this. You, you mentioned the mural. Babyface, can you throw up the picture of the mural? I, I, we've had, we've discussed murals because in LA, there's a whole bunch of murals all over the city. It's awesome, and what I, dude. And what I love is a lot of them, these murals are sports related. You see, mm-hmm. there's a lot of Kobe murals. There's a lot of Laker murals, but there's a lot of Dodger murals. And then there's, there's Valenzuela's mural. And I, I want to talk to you about this because every Dodger up until 2020, all we had was 1988. And thanks to your dad. Right. And your dad played a very, very short amount of time with the Dodgers. But I go to Dodger Stadium and I see people wearing the 23, not the 23 for Eric Carros, but the 23 mm-hmm. for your dad. How did this uh, come up, this mural? Did the artist approach you or did you guys go seek out the artist? So the the foundation it's it's not the biggest foundation we're currently in the process of of growing the brand and growing the name and so we figured you know what better way to do that than by showcasing you know not only 
an incredible LA street artist, but, you know, reaching out to our, our, we'll call it family out in LA are, are all the fans of the Dodgers who, who have been behind my dad for so many years when he was there. And even after he was there, they, they've supported him for so long. So we want to get out to LA. One of, one of um, the people that works for our foundation, Brian Dukoff, he reached out to uh, Corey Maddie and Jay Jones. Corey's the artist who she does a lot of murals around town and we saw some of her work. And I mean, just by seeing her work and her attitude, once we talked to her, we were like, okay, I mean, this is, this is the connection we want. And we sent her over numerous months, a lot of zoom calls and, and a lot of planning. We kind of gave her what our vision was. And then she came back to us with, obviously you see it here, what her vision was. And we, we were like, I mean, this, this couldn't go any better. This is perfect. And so we were kind of thinking of the message we wanted to have on it. And I remember I was in a meeting with, with a few of my colleagues and we were like, okay, can we incorporate Vin somehow? Cause I had met Vin before Vin has been always, he was really great to my family. And I remembered, oh man, what did he say? You know, in a year that's been so improbable, the impossible has happened. That happened that night. So we know the impossible can happen. So what we want to do is help alleviate Parkinson's and eventually have it eradicated, completely done with Parkinson's. We know the impossible can happen. So that's what our message is. We want to try and get there someday. So we want people to see that it can happen. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, you, you're a Michigan kid, right? And to hear you talk about Vin Scully, I would assume you were an Angelino, born and raised. I mean, oh yeah. For a lot of people out here, Vin Scully was a huge part of their life, and I, you know, I did. I was very surprised how much his death impacted me, because mm -hmm. I was just like, I'd never met Vin Scully. I mean, all I know is through the TV. But for some reason, when I saw the news that he had passed away, it was like someone I knew, and and, and it really hit me. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm very, I, I love the idea that you wanted to incorporate him into that mural. Yeah. It, whenever we would go out to LA, you know, there was always two people that my dad always, you know, he, he's very, uh, he's a very traditional man where, Hey, if you see these guys, you shake their hand, you look them in the eyes and you say, you know, Mr. Scully, it's nice to see you. I, I hope you remember me. Or when he would see my uncle Tommy Lasorda out there, we'd always, he'd always give, my dad a hard time and they'd always go back and forth with each other. It was always good. So whenever we go out there, you know, you knew, you know, the people that kind of helped my dad through his career and who were always really nice to him. And he'll always, you know, have those people's backs just as much as they had his back along the way. I, I want to segue. Uh, first of all, for people, this mural is next to Bill's liquor. Uh, and I really don't, it's in a part of town that I can never, is it Silver Lake? Is it, if anybody knows that area, I always ever, I'm like, where are we? Is this Silver Lake or is this Frogtown? Where, where, what part of town? So just look up Bill's Liquor and go to Bill's Liquor and you can go ahead and, and see that mural and check it out because I, I love it. It's just another Dodger mural around town. Uh, Cam, I do want to get into your your minor league career because there's there's a couple of things that that really surprised me. Uh, there was an interview I read where I felt you were really honest, not only honest but vulnerable when it came to you making the decision that you didn't want to play anymore. Like mm -hmm. how 
was that easy for you to come to terms with that? Or was that something I know COVID played a large, uh, a large part in it, right? Well, the pause of COVID kind of threw a wrench into everything. Um, you know, you never hope for something like that to happen, but you know, it just happened the way it happened, man. And, um, starting a new aspect of your life is never going to be easy, but you have to be able to take it in stride and you, you got to know that you can overcome it. You know, my dad always said, like, for as long as I can remember, he always said, Hey, you got to fight through it, you know, whatever you're doing. And so I was, I was playing in Australia at the time, um, for the Sydney blue Sox, which, Oh my gosh, I would go, go back there any day. That is the greatest place I've ever been. Um, but I was sitting there and, you know, I was kind of hurting every day I'd wake up and I'm like, God, like, why am I hurting so bad? I mean, we've only played like eight games and, you know, I just, you know, kind of realized, you know, maybe I've, I've kind of been at the same level for three or so years. Maybe it's time for me to just start something new. And for a while there, you know, I, I wasn't, after I retired, it was tough, man. Like I would go up to my ranch up in Northern Michigan and, and I would just walk around the woods with, with our, with our dog. And, I, I was trying to find something else to do. And my, my parents came up to me and talked to me about, you know, kind of joining the foundation. And I figured like that could be a, a really big way for me to make a big impact. You know, I could, I could keep it in the family and, and, you know, do my best to keep the message going. So I'm, I'm extremely happy now with where I'm at and we're going to grow this thing and it's going to become a, a, a big, a big thing. You mentioned Australia. I know a few years ago, the Dodgers had an exhibition game out there. Is it surprising to you? With the popularity of the WBC, the certain countries that have like a real passion for baseball, did you see it when you were there in Sydney? And like, how does this, how did baseball get over to Australia where, you know, they decided, hey, we're going to play this sport too? It's pretty wild, man. You know, you don't, unless you're really there, you don't really understand how much it means to these guys. Cause I would, I'd get to the field and they're like, yeah, they're like, oi, gibai, we didn't start nothing until about 5.30. And I'm like, why don't you start until five? Like, we can't hit before then. It's like, well, these guys, these guys work, you know, nine to five jobs before they come to the field. They're all, they all have their own companies, they all do their own trades. And then they're coming to play a game at the end of the day. So you got, you got to have a certain amount of respect for these guys who are grinding during the entirety of the day and then grinding in the heat outside for an entire game. It's mostly, I will say, it's mostly cricket, rugby, and Australian footy. Like there's, these, guys are, these guys are like playing cricket in the dugout <laughs> like during rain delays and everything like that. And I'm sitting there like, God, these guys are, these guys are wild men. But it, you, you got to respect all these guys for how much they love the game. And I feel like I don't want to misspeak, but I don't know how long baseball's been over there, but for how much love they do have for it for as long as it's been over there. I mean, it's unmatched. They love it down there. Truly. By the way, you need to add to your resume, the ability to do an Australian accent. Cause that was pretty spot oh, on. Yeah. <laughs> not bad. Mine, huh? Not, a, not at all, man. No, that, That's that was what they pretty... thought too. They liked it. They liked it. How did it feel being uh, the Mr. Baseball in Australia? Was it, did you feel like a fish out of water or did, was Australia something that you could assimilated to very quickly? 
Well, it's, there are some factors that are going to be a big culture shock out there. Like, you know, walking into your bedroom and seeing a spider that's about this big sitting on your floor. That's, that's going to be a bit tough for you. And I didn't sleep in my bed for a week or so after that, but no, it's everybody there is, is super nice. And they're, they're extremely welcoming. I mean, I remember the first day I went to the field, everybody was, you know, dapping me up and giving me hugs as if I had been there for, for 10 years. But also, I could, I could kind of fly under the radar for two reasons. Manny Ramirez was on my team. And for the second reason is that I kind of already look like I'm from Australia a little bit. Like my best friend was there with me, my roommate, um, and he's Canadian. And he, like, I have the blonde and the long and, the, and the everything. And, you know, they would always go to him and be like, oh, so like, what's Canada like? People we'd meet. And I'd be like, I'm from America. Like, you want to know anything? From me, and they're like, oh, you're American? And I'm like, yeah, man, come on. You, I have to ask you because I, any opportunity I have to hear Manny Ramirez stories, I, I'm all for it. I've had major leaguers tell me he he thought he was out of the game, even though nobody told him he was out of the game, and he had his pants off in the locker room. They had to tell him, hey, come back in. So I, I always, I feel like people like portray him as just this aloof dude but the guy was a hitting machine. So to be able to oh, be yeah. that talented to make baseball look that, that easy while yet not seeming to be engaged. Did you get that vibe or did you see a different Manny when you were in Australia? No, it's funny because in 20, in 2010, I had met, I had met Manny in Arizona at a training facility um, where he, he might've been rehabbing or just training in the off season. Um, but he had this this outgoing personality where he'd just walk around the gym and you know say what up to everybody like hey what's going on I'm like hey Manny how you doing he didn't even know who I was and he'd come up and say like how you doing today and so he had that same attitude down in Australia I think that's just just how he is and that's how he succeeded for so long in the game is to where you know a lot of guys you you tend to play baseball and it's a stressful sport man if you're not producing you know you ain't playing or you ain't getting a job. So I think that his his kind of laid back attitude, his outgoing personality, you know, that suited him for so long. And that made him, you know, the type of player he was. It's just some guys can play that way. You know, you take a guy like my dad, he's not really a guy who's going to be joking around too much when he gets between the lines. It's more of a, you know, get the hell out of my way, you know, between the lines. But Manny, Manny was more of a, I'm here to have some fun. And everybody plays the game different. And the way Manny played it is great. And I, I loved having him around the locker room and in the clubhouse. He's a fun guy to be around. Did he know your name? Joe, we had Joe Bimo on the show. And Joe Bimo's like convinced that he, Manny did not know what his name was because he always referred to him as, hey, lefty, lefty. <laughs> oh, and lefty. He did, and to, uh, this, to this day, Joe Bimo's like, I don't think he knows my name. Um, he did call me Blondie. So I think, uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to give you an answer on that. Maybe, maybe he does know, maybe he doesn't, but he did call me Blondie. <laughs> All right, Kev, uh, we want to wrap things up the way we always wrap things up on this show. Uh, the Bleed Lows podcast, we're, we're about the Dodgers here, but we're about the city of Los Angeles and we're about the culture. So this is a segment that we call our kickback questions. It's a series of rapid fire questions. If you want right. to give me a longer answer, by all means, you go ahead and do it. But uh, the first one I have for you um, is, is it true that you are a criminal justice major 
And are you planning on taking that uh, degree or have you done so already and, and put it into use? So I was drafted in 2015, left school until, um, golly, 2020 when COVID hit. There's really no excuse for me not to go back and finish my degree, especially hearing it from my grandparents and my, my parents all the time. You know, why don't you just go back? So I went back, got the degree, graduated in, in 2021 or 2022. God, I should probably remember that. But yeah, I graduated with a criminal justice degree. Although the reason I chose that uh, this is a good one is because it had the least math that I had to take in order to stay <laughs> eligible to play baseball in college. So there's a, there's a, there's a reason for it. Um, I, I am curious in, in this sense, uh, we are fans of the male soap opera on this show and what we refer to the male soap opera and that's uh, professional wrestling. So we oh, need to yeah. know, have you ever at one point in your life been a fan of wrestling and if so uh we need to know who are your favorite wrestlers i'll show you can i can i show you something really quick yeah absolutely. one second all righty so th this is great we have cam gibson who is so excited i think about talking about wrestling with us that he has now gone to go so show I, us something all right i changed my hat before the interview because i didn't know if it was appropriate enough to wear this hat <laughs> But I always wear my Stone Cold oh, Steve Austin hat, bro. Almost. <laughs> Why every does that day, not baby. surprise me? Why does that not surprise stone me cold, that you're a baby? That you're a Stone Cold guy. So then no, you're a I, fan of I the Attitude it. Era, then, right? I am. I went to my. I went to a wrestling match at Joe Louis Arena. Oh man, it might have been 1999, something like that. And we had, we made two signs. One of them was for the du the Dudley Boys. It said, it said, <laughs> get the table. There's yeah. a guy getting thrown through it. And then uh, we drew up in a stone cold sign and I won't uh, mimic what was on it, but you can read between the lines and it said <laughs> stone cold on it. Uh, right, man. That, that is awesome. Yeah. Stone cold is, is one of the greats uh, real quick. Since everybody loves to do this, I, I'm going to put you under the butt. Your Mount Rushmore of wrestling. We know stone colds on there, right? Who would be the yeah. other three guys that you would put on there? Um, I'd say Rey Mysterio, um, the ultimate warrior. Oh God. And the last one, who would I do? I would probably have to go with Jeff Hardy. Nice. You know, the ultimate warriors before your time, Cam, I, 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 did you just re see old videos, old matches of the ultimate warrior? Where does the ultimate warrior love come from? Well, my brother, um, we, I, I like to go down some YouTube rabbit holes and yeah. I got down one, one time and my brother was like, Oh, you got to check out the ultimate warrior and his entrance, his entrance music, you know, shake, shake in the rail. I mean, I can't get enough of that sprinting, sprinting to the, to the ring. Every time I actually incorporated that into my own game, we'd be in the dugout before the game and they'd be introducing us. And when they'd introduce you, you'd run out to the field and I was an outfielder. So I had a long way to go to get out there. And so they go, you know, uh, Cam Gibson, and I'd sprint from the like a like a bat out of hell straight into the outfield, and I learned that from the Ultimate Warrior. You know what, Cam? You you seem like such an easygoing guy, but did you inherit the Gibson intensity? Do you do you have that also in certain aspects of your life? 
Yeah. So the intensity aspect was definitely there more when I played because, you know, mm -hmm. once you step in between the lines, it's, it's, uh, it's time for battle, you know, get, get out of my way type of type of attitude. And, um, after baseball, I've, I've learned to calm down a bit, but as you can see here, this is, uh, we have a hockey team, a beer league hockey team for the Kirk Gibson foundation. And I've got some family members on it and some friends and, that's usually where my aggression comes out the most is when I step onto the ice. Cause you can't, if you're an athlete and you're a competitor, you can't lose that competitive edge. It's always going to be with you. I've sort of alleviated it, but when I put that Jersey on, you, you better watch out. It's coming out. I know this happened before you were born, but do you get tired of people walking up to you and telling you they were at the game where your dad hit the home run in the world series, because according to everyone, there must've been 3 million people at that game, even though the stadium <laughs> only seats 50,000. I swear Cam, the number of people that walk up to me and go, Oh, I was at that game. Sure. You were buddy. Sure. Sure. I, I mean, do you ever get tired of hearing about that home run, because to me, it's the greatest home run ever. I, I mean, it is for those who have seen the movie, the natural that is straight out of the natural, what your dad did. No, I don't, I don't really get sick of it. It's, it's a good example. Like at the mural unveiling, you know, there was a lot of fans there and, and the two owners of Bill's liquor, you know, Mike and Crystal Khalil, they, they were super helpful throughout this process. And I was talking to Mike and he started telling me his story about when the home run happened. And the, the, the funny thing about the home run is that people forget so many things throughout their life. You know, I forget so many things throughout mine. But I swear to God, every single person I've met has been able to tell me where they were and how they remember what they were doing for that home run. So if something like that can stick with so many people for so long... It has to be special. And I, and I think that, you know, you kind of just got to accept that. And I love hearing people's stories about what they were doing. You know, Mike, Mike told me, he's like, yeah, I was, I, I was at home and my wife was cooking dinner and I damn near jumped through the roof of the house. And I'm like, <laughs> I love to hear that, man. I'm glad you had that moment and you can remember it. Uh, is your dad telling the truth when he says he's sick and tired of hearing about it? Is there a part of him that just loves that, He's going to live forever because of that home run. Yeah, I think, well, he's a humble guy. He, he never wants to, to take credit for, for anything because he's, he's always preached teamwork and collaboration and everybody working together. So he'll tell you, you know, uh, Oral pitched his heart out in these games. And, you know, you know, Steve Sachs played his heart out on the field. And, you know, everybody did their part. And, I think that he understands what it means to people and he appreciates all the love that he gets for it. But like I said, he's a humble guy. He'll never tell you that it, he, he did it on his own. He did, he played a good part in inspiring a team maybe, but it was definitely a team effort that with a team like that against an A's team, like they were one big team was going to defeat that big team. And he knew that, it wasn't all up to him, but he could do his part and he did his best to do his part and it showed. So uh, last one, you came out here to LA for the unveiling of the mural. Uh, so this is a two-parter. Uh, one, we are big on tacos here on the show. We're big on the taco culture. So we love to find people out and figure, ask people like, what is your favorite taco? Uh, and I want to know, can you get good tacos in Michigan? 
You can. I have recently come across a place here, by, actually by where I live in Michigan. It's called El Guanaco. And they have the best, most authentic tacos of anywhere in the entire state, I think. Their, ta- their chorizo taco. Oh, okay. It, it honestly, it, it doesn't get any better than that. I get that maybe once a week. I do my best to stay at once a week. If it goes to two <laughs> or three, that's not my fault. Don't make it so good if you don't want me to eat it so much. Uh, what kind of tortillas are there? Are they serving out there in Michigan? Are they uh, the corn or the flour kind? They give you they give you the option of a fresh corn or a fresh flour. Okay. They make everything from scratch there too. And do you have a preference between the two? I'll say sometimes the corn tortilla can get a little bit flaky to where okay. it breaks a little bit. Then again, you know, I don't want to say the wrong answer because I feel, I feel like people are going to see it and be like, oh, this guy doesn't know about tacos. What are you talking about? I actually, I'll say, I'll say corn tortilla. That's the right answer. Uh, but I'll, I'll make you feel better, Cam, in this sense. I have always been a corn tortilla man, but I mm-hmm. am starting to come around to the flour tortilla because especially out here in L.A., there seems to be a movement going around with a certain style of taco from a part of Mexico called Sonora. So I'm seeing a lot more flour street tacos, mm-hmm. but uh, I do feel like that is the greatest tragedy when you get a tortilla like you just described mm-hmm. where it's flaky. Tragedy. Or bra- yeah, it's it's breaking apart. It's not holding the protein so I, I, you handle yourself very well with your taco analysis, my friend. Uh, I think you're do you have impress a, uh, our listeners. Do you have a, a, a place, a recommendation for a birria, a birria tacos place? I got oh. my pen ready. I'm going to write it down, man. I, I, absolutely. Uh, birria is starting to make a big movement in L.A., but one of the ones, and it's very easy to find because it's right by Dodger Stadium. It's a truck called Teddy's Red Tacos. I oh, swear yeah. by Teddy's. Uh, Teddy's is it, it was it started off as a mom and pop. It gets a little hate because he's just growing ex- exponentially. And the reason why mm-hmm. he's growing exponentially is because it's damn good. So yeah, birria tacos so. for me. I recommend it's right on Sunset. It's a truck. He has multiple locations, but if you're going to go to Dodger Stadium, stop by and get Teddy's, and you can get a whole bunch of different stuff there. And if you like consume, are you a fan of the consume, Cam? Mm-hmm. Bring it. You you will get that also. So definitely check out Teddy's Red Tacos. I'm going to do it when I'm back out there. So uh, a big thank you to Cam, not only because he pulled out the Stone Cold hat. We love that. <laughs> we love that he was not afraid to show his love for wrestling. And th- this was not programmed. This was not a bit, people. I did not know he was a Stone Cold fan. but Took it off before to be more appropriate. <laughs> but we can't thank you enough for giving us the time. Where can our listeners, our viewers go to help support uh, the Gibson, the Kirk Gibson Foundation? Well, if you're if you're in LA and you're headed over to Bill's Liquor in Atwater Village, there's a QR code that's on the mural in the bottom right corner. You could go up and scan it and that'll take you right to our website, the KirkGibsonFoundation.org. Whatever information you need, that's where you're going to find it. We do events. We've got our own stories on there, a lot of our media that we've done. Whatever you need to find about Parkinson's, you'll find it at KirkGibsonFoundation.org. And you're hoping to eventually there will be an event out here in L.A. aside from the the unveiling of the mural. 
Absolutely. We'd love to expand out to LA and we've got some pillars out there now and we're going to utilize them. Okay. Uh, and where can they follow you or the foundation on the social medias, Cam? Um, you can follow the social media, uh, Kirk Gibson Foundation. Uh, we have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, and you can also find us on LinkedIn. I am personally not a social media guy, but you can follow the foundation for sure. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, uh, Cam. We really appreciate taking the time and congratulations on the work you guys are doing and getting that mural up. Uh, I am never going to complain about having Dodger murals all over the city of Los Angeles. It's a beautiful sight, man. I'll tell you that. And I appreciate you guys having me on and helping us get the word out there. You guys are you guys are some real ones. Absolutely. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Cam Gibson. Thank you. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Camp. And a big thank you once again to Cam Gibson for, for joining us on the show and uh, giving us a, a, that information about the Kirk Gibson Foundation. Um, before, you know, he had agreed to come on the show, Babyface, I was not familiar with the work uh, that the Kirk Gibson Foundation has been doing. I'm, I'm glad that he was able to come on and, and share with us some of that information. I will say, man, it, it's tough to see Gibson. Uh, when's the last time you, you, you've seen Gibson like doing an interview interview or in, in public? I hadn't seen him for a while, but I did see him cause he was on the uh, video board, uh, for the oral thing. Did you see that? Did, yeah. Um, he offered yeah. his congratulations. And as soon as he went up and, and did that, I'm like, wait, he's in Alaska. Cam told us that. Yeah. And and there he was. He filmed it from Alaska. So yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah, like you said, it's a little tough to see Kirk Gibson kind of, you know, going through that, right? Because you remember Kirk Gibson, like how he always was, right? That hard nosed guy. That right. You, know, you hear the story of you know when he came to the Dodgers, right? And the the the, the eye black that they put under, and he got like pissed off, right? So you, yeah. that's kind of you always picture Kirk Gibson, right? And then when they get something like this, right? You know how you know their life is affected so much, right? And and to see them, it, it's like wow, it's like. It, you know, it really hits home. Yeah, it's exactly what you just said. I mean, it's just in, I, I, in a sense, he does put a face to the disease. I, and but it is, it is tough because he is just. I've always associated him as a tough guy. But did you hear what Hershiser was saying about uh, Gibson in recording that that speech? I, I mean, I, I want to get into the Hershiser thing in the, in a minute, but I just want to wrap up the Kirk Gibson thing. Did Did you hear what he said about uh, Gibson? Uh, recording that message what do you say so he was basically saying that gibson reached out to him and apologized for not being there at the ceremony in person he had just planned this alaska trip a long long time ago and and he was committed to it and cam was just telling us you know how great it was to see his dad out there still living his life you know even though he, he's dealing with this so the i i it's funny because Gibson was only with the Dodgers for two years, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, in a short run, the impact that he had on that, the fact that Hershiser wanted him to be there, obviously, yes, Gibson played a huge part in 
in that aspect of that great year that Hershiser had. But I, I really, I guess I underappreciated the, how tight those, those two guys, I mean, they're both Michigan guys. So maybe that was the connection that they had in that season, but go check out the mural. Uh, it's right next to Bill's liquor. It's one of those things where I love that there are so many murals in Los Angeles and so many of them are Dodger murals. Look, it's, it's either a Laker mural or in particular, it's either a Kobe mural or it's a Dodger mural. I mean, depending on where you go, you see a lot of Valenzuela uh, murals, even by the stadium, you see Valenzuela paintings up against the buildings. Uh, I'm glad that they use the Vin Scully quote on there because it is one of those things that you, I, I think you always associate that home run with the call from Vin Scully. And now that we mentioned Vin Scully, uh, at the time that we were recording this, it would have been the anniversary of, of Vin Scully's death. Uh, it was August 2nd, right, Babyface, when, when Vin Scully passed away in, in 20... Uh, 2022 yeah today so, so today exactly marks the year um i remember watching the game right with joe davis and and he's well they're in san francisco right they're in san francisco they're he's on the call and then they get that news like it's kind of, i think it's going to be one of those moments too like you kind of remember where you're at right like a lot of things that happen right you kind of remember like oh yeah i remember and that was exactly what was going on and so yeah i mean it's so quick you know time just goes by so fast and it's kind of like, wow, it's been a year already. Well, it's just to hear Cam Gibson talk about the, the significance of Vince Scully uh, for him. And, and you know, Cam is not a, a native Angelino. He's not even a native Californian. So to see, again, the impact of Vince Scully's life on, on people, it's, I, we did a whole episode when, when Vince Scully passed away. And you're right. I, I still remember it like it just happened yesterday. I was in the movie theater. I went to go see this ridiculous movie where the crawdads sing or something like that. It was based on a young adult novel. And I'm the movie's over. And I turn on my phone and I see all the notifications. And immediately I was like, oh, shit. And I was surprised because my I started tearing up in the movie theater. And Wendy's looking at me going, are you okay? Like what's, and I'm like, Vin Scully died. And I never, as much as I, you know, watching him and seeing him get older and after he retired, you just knew eventually this was going to happen. But when it actually happened, I was so surprised at how it impacted me at the fact that it was just like, Oh man, Vin Scully is gone. So in a sense, when Cam Gibson's talking about, you know, we wanted to have that quote, we wanted to, and look, for the longest time, I've seen people write articles about this, that especially Chicanos here in California, that they admire Scully, that Scully, Vin Scully resonated more with Chicanos. And Gustavo Arellano, I think, was the one who wrote this piece, more so than Jaime Jarrín. And it was those Chicanos that didn't speak Spanish, didn't understand Spanish. They listened to Vin Scully and they, I mean, Vin Scully was a part of their life. I think anybody who was in Southern California, Vin Scully was a part of their life to see this mural. Kirk Gibson, if you are of a certain age 
for the longest time up until 2020. That's what you know about the Dodgers' success is Kirk Gibson hitting that home run. So the fact that that get, that home run is going to live forever, and you know Spectrum Spectrum Sportsnet LA, I think they did it. I think they did a documentary on, on the Gibson home run. And I don't know if it's just I'm getting sentimental now, but every time I watch it, I, I get a little choked up when when Gibson hits that home run. And maybe it's because it just triggers all those memories. And and that's what baseball is about. Like, how often do you think of that home run, babyface? Well, I mean, anytime you think about, right, the Dodgers championships, right, that's that's like the first thing. And even though they've had a championship in 2020, I think 88 is kind of just stands out so much just because it was so historic, right? That, that moment, right. When you talk about great moments in, in, in world series history, it just, that just stands out. Right. Where were you in the stadium that, that day for 88? No, I, I was, I, wow. unfortunately of the 3 million people who said they were at the stadium, I was not one of them. I know exactly where I was when Gibson hit that home run. And you're talking about like moments where you will never forget where you were. I will never forget being in that movie theater when Vin Scully passed away. But I was actually in Oakland when they uh, when Gibson hit that home run. We uh, we took my grandparents to go visit my uncle and my uncle lived in Oakland and my uncle was a huge A's fan. And I remember it like it was yesterday. They're in the living room. My grandfather, who was a huge baseball fan, that's when I, I I share my love of baseball with my grandfather. That was the relationship that I had with him was just he and I just sitting there watching baseball games. Uh, my dad was there and my uncle was there. And I remember my dad saying, Gibson's going to hit a home run. And it never really registered with me because I was still very young at that point. But when he hit that home run, I went nuts. I started running around the living room, just screaming. And I looked at my uncle afterwards because he was an A's fan. And I'm like, oh, and I'm in his house. Right. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm totally like rubbing it in his face you know, this home run. And I just remember my uncle was laughing at me. He was just like the fact that I was so happy that the Dodgers had won this game. He he was happy for me. So I, I, I know exactly where I, that's still a very fond memory for me when Gibson hit that home run. Where were you when, were you at the stadium when Gibson hit the home run babyface? I was not, I was, I was at home watching it on TV also. Um, I remember sitting there with my dad watching, just watching the game. Right. And, and he comes up and he hits that home run and just the same thing, just that joy, that jubilation. We both got up. We're like yelling and we're like high-fiving each other. Like just, I mean, it was just something you, it's like, it's really still harder to describe that moment. Just that what yeah. you, what you felt at that time, right. Just that like utter joy, just like, just going crazy. Like, like if you'd be at the stadium, but you're watching it, you know, in your home, you know, on the TV set. I mean, it was just crazy. I just, I just, just remember that so so clear just you know getting up and like high-fiving my dad and just like like hugging and like jumping you know it was, it was crazy i know they've done uh countdowns they've done lists and i think the joe carter home run that ended the world series is actually ranked higher depending on which list you come across but for me the, I, and i know it's gonna be i'm gonna be biased i'm a homer because it, it's it happened with the dodgers but to me there is no greater postseason home run than that Kirk Gibson home run. I mean, it was just the drama. It was just so unexpected. He's facing the best reliever in the game at that time, and the guy can't even walk. 
I mean, we've had Mitch Poole on the show. We've heard the stories. You know, I, I want to thank Bob Costas, even though he's in my fight club, because I think Bob Costas motivated Gibson probably the most that night when Costas said that Gibson was not going to be available. And Gibson's like, oh, hell no, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be available. But to see him come out there limping and then, of course, the great home run trot as he's walking around. Let me tell you, I never hit a home run in Little League. But if I, I always said if I did hit a, a home run in Little League, I was going to do the Gibson. And sure enough, my uh, my dear friend at that time, Bo Bryant, he hit a home run in Little League and, and he did the Gibson. He, he did the gifts and I was so jealous of him because I, I, I always wanted to do an op, have an opportunity where I could do the Gibson. And what's crazy too about that home run is like, when you think about it, like, yes, it was a world series home run. It was a walk-off home run, but it was game one of a world series, right? Like in general, just when you think about it, Oh, it was a, it was a walk-off in game one. Yeah. It's pretty big, but okay. And you'd forget about it. Right. But just all right. those other things that led up to it. Right. He was hurt. His only at bat. Right who he's facing, right? Everything that, you know, he thought about after he remembered, you know, the, the scouting report, he knew he was going to get a backdoor slider, like just all that makes it just so special and so iconic. And you know what? I think we all, I, I don't think it's talked about enough is also, okay, so it's game one. You're facing the Oakland A's who had won over a hundred games. Nobody thought the Dodgers stood a chance. They, everyone thought they, I mean, the, the A's had just swept the Boston Red Sox. In the ALCS, I mean, the A's were a huge juggernaut. They had these huge mashers on their team, and they had good pitchers. They had Dave Stewart, former Dodger Bob Welch was on that staff. I mean, the odds, everything was going against the Dodgers. So you have that game one, but what I don't think is talked about enough was how grueling that seven-game series was against the Mets. I think that NLCS, that 88 NLCS is just as memorable as anything that happened in the World Series. Or maybe it was even more memorable, to tell you the truth. I think I might argue that that series, that NLCS, was better than the World Series. Yeah, in the World Series, you have the Gibson home run and then you have Hershiser's dominance. But that game, that seven-game set uh, in the NLCS... I mean, you still had Hershiser being great, and then you had drama in there. You had unlikely heroes. You had Mike Sosha's home run. Gibson getting hurt in that series. I mean, and Gibson had a home, a big home run in that series too, right? That, yeah, that, that was the game that Sosha hit the home run too, right? In next yeah. innings, and I think Gibson tied it, right? Yeah, I mean, that there's just, I mean, I guess we're lucky to have experienced a year like that. Uh, that season was just completely, it was just nuts. Uh, the run that they made to have that NLCS and then to have it capped off in that World Series. As I said, Kirk Gibson only played two years for the Dodgers. After 88, he was just injury plagued. And we never we never got to see, a, it got to experience another full season of what Kirk Gibson could have done. But he's going to live in Dodger history forever. Like it's funny because when I think of Kirk Gibson, I still think of him as a Detroit tiger. When you think of Gibson, what do you think of Babyface? Yeah, I think of him as a tiger, right? Dude. But, but I also remember, right. Obviously what he did, but yeah, I mean, if you look at him, I mean, obviously he's a, he's, he was a D Detroit tiger. And even when you look back at his Detroit tiger career, 
he had a big home run for them in 84 against the Padres too. So like he was known for those big moments. Yeah. He was, he was just a guy. So, I I mean, I want to thank cam for taking the time and I do wish Kirk Gibson, uh, all the the best in in this battle i mean to me it's very encouraging it's very inspiring to see him continue to live his life to do i don't don't know if if you have a chance i I think they posted the pictures um on his instagram uh, on the foundation's instagram yeah on the foundation's instagram you can go ahead and check them out uh before we end the show i do want to wrap up real quick on um the Hershiser thing, since we had mentioned him going into the legends uh, of Dodger baseball. Uh, and Hershiser is a guy, you know, we talked about how Gibson's going to live forever. I think Hershiser is now one of those guys that, especially if you grew up in that age, but that year that that dude had in 88 was just insane. And it's funny because I think when anybody talks about oral Hershiser, it's always just about 88, but, he was great in 85. I mean, he had, it's just what he did in 88 was something to put into perspective. So it's um, great. I want to congratulate Oral Hershiser. We, we talked to him very briefly at Kershaw's challenge and we really didn't get a chance to, to talk about him getting inducted into the legends of Dodger baseball uh, because we were too busy talking to him about aliens. Uh, But were you surprised at like the number of people from that 88 team that were at that ceremony, babyface, like the Dave Anderson signing, I, sighting. I was just like, "Oh, hey, Dave Anderson is there." Yeah, I didn't see Dave Anderson yet, but I mean, I mean, that's that's what's great too. Like, I, you know, a lot of these old timer players, they they always come back, they always come and and support and and try and be a part and part of the Dodgers. And I think I think we've discussed this too. I think the Dodgers do a good a good part in trying to get these guys to come back and be a part of it and. And you know, live forever essentially, right? With the fans, and the fans get to see these guys come out, and and they're still there. So I think, I think you know, seeing seeing those guys, seeing the '88 team, um, that they're still, you know, they'll come out and 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 support the Dodgers, and the Dodgers support them. I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, Rick Dempsey was there, so I, a big congratulations to Hershiser. So this year, Manny Moda and Oral Hershiser uh, went into the Legends of Dodger Baseball. It's going to be very interesting to see next year who they might end up inducting because right now, up until this point, I think they have inducted the obvious people, Garvey, Hershiser, Newcomb, Manny Moda. Um, who else was there? Oh, Valenzuela. Valenzuela was, was, is a part of the legends of Dodger baseball. So I think they've done all the obvious choices. So, I'm very curious as to who they are going to put in there. Uh, do you have any thoughts? I think next year, I, I mean, yeah. Do you have any ca- possible candidates? Like who would you put in next? So is the legends. Maury Wills. Maury Wills is one that's already in there. Is it non hall of famers? Yeah, pretty much. All right. Yeah, because all the guys that they've inducted so far into the legends of Dodger baseball, and I actually I think Kirk Gibson is one, isn't he? Is he that what's so that's what I was gonna say? I would think Gibson, right? I'm not sure. Is he in it already? I'm not sure if Gibson. We'd have to we'll have to double check. But um, I mean, who else would you start putting in there? 
I mean, you could argue guys like, uh, I mean, Mike Sosha was pretty huge for the Dodgers, right? I mean, right. people like people like that, you know, going in there. Um, I'm trying to think of like those that '88 year. Um, you know, you have guys like Sosha. So here are here are the people that are officially in it. Um, so it's Valenzuela, uh, as we had mentioned, Steve Garvey and Don Newcomb. Those were the ones that went in the inaugural year, the first year. Then the next year, Maury Wills and Kirk Gibson okay. went into it. So Gibson is in the, the Legends of Dodger Baseball. So then this year they added her. So it's interesting that they did three the first year. So I thought when they did three the first year that they were going to do three every year. But they did two the following year, and then this year they did two. So assuming that they do do two, um, I really think th they created this so they wouldn't have to deal with, oh, you guys never honored these guys, and these are the Dodgers that didn't make the Hall of Fame. So I'm curious if maybe they're going to look back and maybe honor some. I mean, now that Gil Hodges is number is retired, maybe Gil Hodges is no longer an option for the legends of Dodger baseball. But I do think this is going to be reserved for those Dodgers that didn't make it to the Hall of Fame, but have made significant contributions to the Dodgers. Uh, so I mean, you still got the rest of the infield. Are they going? Are they going to do yeah. all all of those guys? That's what I was thinking. I, I mean, obviously, I think Ron Say, right? But I, I don't know. I think, I mean, look, Ron Say has been a guest on this show more than one time. I think you guys all know the complicated relationship that he has with the Dodgers. So I don't know if Ron Say will go in next year. Um, but you're right. I think it's maybe it's you looking at those guys from the 80s, the team that played in the 80s, or are there any guys from the seventies or any guys from the sixties that are overlooked? I know one guy you'd probably love to see go under Pedro Guerrero. Oh, for sure. Right. But I, for sure. But I count that guy as an eighties guy. Yeah. So I'm just curious. I mean, they did Newcomb and they did Maury Wills. I mean, Willie Davis. I, I mean, those, these are, these are players that I, that are from an era that I did not watch. So obviously in the eighties, I agree with you, like Mike Sosha, Pedro Guerrero. I think Steve Sachs is definitely somebody that you're going to consider uh, for this Legends of Dodger baseball. But I, I, I do want to give respect to to the older, uh, the guys who played in the 70s for this Dodger team, for the guys who played in the 60s. I, I it's, it's very curious to see how many more people they end up putting there because I think all the obvious choices uh, – have been put in and I can't wait until it comes up to Mike Piazza. Uh, that, that is going to be interesting for well, me. Because... I mean, I mean, he's in the hall of fame though. I mean, I've, I've always thought like, yeah, he's in the hall of fame. Right. But he's not a Dodger, but I think they haven't retired. His, they, they, they haven't retired his number. His number right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's all that's going to be. The, do you think eventually they will retire his number once they make the piece? Because that's the only thing that's holding it up, right? Is the fact they're just not on good terms. Well, I remember a couple of years ago, Jock Peterson was saying, remember when he was running 31? Yeah. He got 31, but he was saying like he didn't know if he was going to be able to keep it for long because he had, he had mentioned that they were thinking of retiring that number. So I don't know. I think they want to retire his number, but I just, they can't do it without him, right? 
Like, could they retire 31 without having Piazza involved in the ceremony? Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah, they got it. I mean, and I don't know what the holdup is. I mean, I don't know if uh, it's got to be on Piazza's side, right? And for some reason, he doesn't want to like fully like commit to like coming back to the. And I don't know if it's because everything that he's now done with New York and how he's yeah. so tied over there. I mean, I don't know what, what it is that he just doesn't want to say, okay, let's, let's I, make I, our peace. I think it definitely has to be on his side because it's new ownership. The guys who traded you aren't there. Lasord is not here anymore. Like all those people that were associated with him leaving the organization, even Vin Scully, who he had this fake beef with, because he was critical of Vince Scully. And I know I I don't know if this is true, but this is what I've heard. He is very concerned about what the fan reaction would be. Him going back to Dodger Stadium. I think he doesn't want to be booed. I don't I think he's concerned about how the fans are going to react. And I, I think enough time has passed that people have I forgotten about that. Like you're seeing them. I'm seeing a lot more of the Mike Piazza retro jerseys out there. I find it very interesting that it's in the blue and it's not in the traditional road gray or the home, but it's, it's the blue. I see a lot of Nomo in, in the blue. So maybe Nomo is another guy who's going to be considered for the legends of Dodger baseball. Um, I find it very interesting that those are the two jerseys now that I'm starting to see more at Dodger Stadium. I, I would look for me. I get it. He's he had played. He ended up playing more years with the Metropolitans. Therefore, he has better numbers with the Metropolitans. For me, the Piazza is always a Dodger. I, I feel like he had his best years as the Dodgers uh, as a Dodger. But I also get it. He, he got traded and that 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 really sucked. It's going to be interesting to see too how, like, how long do they wait after, say, a player retires or whatever? Because you know, in a couple of years too, like, you know, I'm sure Justin Turner's got a couple of years left. When would you add Justin Turner to that? Right? Is it going to be like way off down the road, or like a few years after he retires? Yeah, I mean, Justin Turner's definitely going to. Justin Turner's definitely going in. Um, but I mean, this is a conversation we can keep on, uh, having in the future, just because of the fact that Hershiser just recently went in and Kirk Gibson was already a member of the legends of Dr. Baseball. We wanted to head and bring it up, but anyways, um, we want to thank you. That's going to do it for this episode. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast and to our YouTube channel. Uh, we are dropping specific material for the YouTube that you can only watch there. Uh, you are see those who said Juan Ramirez de parte de mi colega Babyface. Nos vemos para la próxima. This episode of the Bleed Those Podcast has been brought to you by betonline.ag, where the game starts. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit